I was, uh, I was talking with Megan this morning about, uh, about my preaching, and uh, she, she gave me some good advice. She said, uh, be friendly, uh, be expressive, which is not something I'm typically good at. And, uh, and, she, and I said, well, I'm, I'm preaching about joy this morning. And she said, oh, that's great. Uh, are you going to smile? And I said, probably not. So I'll blame my emotionally repressed Northeastern upbringing. Um, but uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about joy. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones or whatever, you can turn there. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. And uh, before we jump into the text, uh, I want to think a little bit about about joy. Uh, one of the things I've, I've thought about as I've been thinking about this sermon is often, you know, you might hear missionaries or, or, or people who've gone on short-term mission trips come back from other countries, from other cultures, and, and often one of the things you'll hear when you talk to people like that is they'll say, you know, I, I went over there and... Um, and the people were just so full of joy, even though perhaps they don't have as many blessings as, as we do, they're characterized by joy. Of course, that's not always the case, uh, but often, often that seems to be the case. And, and it got me thinking, what would someone else say about us? Uh, you all may know that uh, I had an exchange student, uh, Magnus, from Iceland, involved uh, with the ministry this past semester. He was here just as an exchange student for one semester. Um, I, I never sort of had enough courage to ask him, you know, what would he say sort of characterizes us? But I think that's it's, it's a good question to ask. Are we characterized by joy? God wants us to, to have and to experience and to express joy, and is that characteristic of us? And I think probably the answer is is uh, you know sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? I'm not going to um, suggest that we never experience or express joy. Um, but but the joy that that Jesus wants for us is a is a is a comprehensive, deep, profound joy. And I think often when we experience joy, or, or, or when we experience what we think is joy. It's in something that's temporary or transient, right? Our experience and expression of joy is sporadic. Uh, it's, it's temporary. It's not something that, it, that we experience permanently. And I think that's often because our joy is contingent on impermanent things, things that come and go. In the fall, uh, I'll be preaching from the book of Ecclesiastes. So I've been reading through Ecclesiastes this summer. I've been studying Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is all about the impermanence of life. That life under the sun is characterized by this impermanence, this transience, and, it, and, our, and our efforts and our desire to find happiness uh, in things under the sun don't fulfill us because of the impermanence, the transience of life under the sun. And uh, when Megan and I were going through a a difficult season in life a a number of years ago, I'd I'd been looking for a job and we found a job that we're really excited about. And at the last second, sort of after we'd gone through a number of iterations of interviews and and various things, and it looked like we were going to get the job, Sort of things fell through at the very last second, and that was um, particularly difficult. And then that, that happened over the course of nine months, a number of other times. I think uh, in, in nine months, that sort of experience happened about five times where we 
had a, a, a potential job that we were excited about that sort of seemed to um, go to the 11th hour, and then at the last second it got pulled away. And I remember one time in particular towards the end of that season, uh, you know, I came back. This was during my Ph.D. days. I, I came back from the library. I had received a phone call while I was there, and, uh, and, and it had, I, I learned about another job opportunity that I was really excited about. I, I thought it would be a good fit for me. I thought it would be a good fit for Megan. Um, and so I was, I was really excited to tell her that this job had, had come open, that I was now uh, able to apply for it, and I thought I had a very good chance of getting it. And, uh, and, and it had been a difficult season, so I was going to try and encourage Megan. And I came back um, and was telling Megan about this, and, and she said, um, she said, I don't want another opportunity. I want permanent good news. And I thought that was a very wise thing to say, right? Because as it happens, that was the last opportunity that we lost um, before we sort of turned to another season uh, of our lives. So I was, I was trying to find joy in something that wasn't permanent. Uh, and, and Megan uh, said she wanted permanent good news. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the permanent good news that we have. Permanent joy depends on permanent good news. And so if we're going to find a joy that endures, a joy that is permanent, a joy that is not sporadic or contingent or temporary, uh, it's got to be a joy that's in permanent good news. And so let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. Uh, Luke chapter 10. And just to, to set the context of this, this is immediately after the disciples have come back, the 70 or 72 disciples have come back from traveling throughout the, the land of Israel, uh, performing ministry and, and miracles, right? So they cast out demons, they've, they've healed the sick people, they've been preaching. Uh, Jesus sent them out sort of as, as, as one last preparation. Jesus is, is about to begin his final journey to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Uh, and before he begins that final journey around Israel, in, in which he will end up in Jerusalem, he sends the, the disciples out, he sends the 70 disciples out throughout the land, and they come back, and that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 10. So Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 17, this is God's holy and inerrant word to us. Hear the word of the Lord. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see 
and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would give us uh, clarity, openness, uh, receptiveness to your word, that you would speak to us through uh, your word by the power of your Holy Spirit in this next uh, in this next sermon uh, time as we look at your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So what we see here uh, is that the disciples have had an, an incredibly successful season of ministry, right? They come back from going throughout the land of Israel and they are excited. They're sort of like a little child that comes to their parent excited about something that they've been able to accomplish, right? Some, some task that they've been working on, whether that's building something or, or writing letters or learning to be potty trained or whatever it is, they come to their parents. They're so excited. They're, they're overjoyed uh, and expressing enthusiasm because they have had an incredibly successful season of ministry, far beyond what they expected, right? They go throughout the, the, the land of Israel. They're able to cast out demons. They're able to heal people. They've had an incredible time. And I want you to imagine, I want you to put yourself in that situation, right? You, perhaps in the last year, have, have been blessed by God in particular ways. Perhaps you've had success in your, in your job and you've received a promotion and, and you've done very well. Or perhaps you've been working hard as a parent to be more gracious and loving and kind and you've seen God working in your life. Or perhaps in your ministry on, on campus or, or in other spheres, you've been blessed by God in some profound ways. And, uh, and I think naturally we would all find uh, joy and happiness in that. We would look and see God blessing us and we would find uh, something to rejoice in there. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, in response to the disciples, he, he, he sort of gives this cryptic response. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I think what's going on there in verse 18 and 19, where he talks about having authority over the serpents and the scorpions and so on and so forth, what Jesus is saying is, you have had incredible success in ministry, but you ain't seen nothing yet. It is going to be even greater. The, the success that you have in the future is going to be even greater than what you have just experienced, right? And Jesus says this elsewhere in the Gospels. He says, you are going to do greater things than I. And then the book of Acts and the epistles record the apostles going to the four corners of the earth and doing some of the things that Jesus tells them that they're going to do and having incredible success all throughout the known world, throughout the Roman Empire and even beyond to proclaim the gospel, to heal people, to perform miracles. Jesus is saying the power of Satan has been broken and from now on you are going to have incredible success in ministry. Right? So as you imagine your own life, as you imagine perhaps the ways in which God has blessed you or could bless you, imagine Jesus saying it's going to get even better. It's going to be even greater. Your coming year is going to be even greater than the previous year. And yet, Jesus, in verse 20, says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Well, what's he doing here? It sort of feels like maybe Jesus is a wet blanket. You know, you, you have a little child coming to you as, as a parent, and they're excited about what they've done. 
and you say, you know, that's great, I'm glad for that, but that's not what you should be happy or excited about, right? Why is Jesus doing this? I think what he's doing, I think what he's getting at here is that he knows that as successful as the apostles are going to be, as successful as the disciples are going to be in their, in their future ministry, they are still going to also experience profound ministry failures. They are still going to experience profound ministry failures, some of which are going to be due to their own sin, some of which are going to be due to circumstances outside of their control. And just as we see in Acts and the Apostles, the story of the success of the Apostles' ministry, we also see stories of profound failure as well. And what Jesus knows is that if they're finding their joy in ministry success, that is a temporary contingent joy, right? You might find success in the ways in which God is blessed, or you may find joy in the way in which God is blessing you. You may find joy in all sorts of things, but if it's not a permanent, uh, if it's not permanent good news, it's not permanent joy. If you're finding joy in something that isn't guaranteed, that isn't permanent, it's not going to be a permanent joy. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to experience joy in him. So instead, uh, what does Jesus propose? He says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, what Jesus wants them to rejoice in is not their power, but their position, right? He doesn't want them to rejoice in the power that they have received or the success that they are able to use that power for. Rather, he wants them to rejoice in their position, the fact that their names are written in heaven. What does that mean? What that means is that they have a claim to heaven. They have a stake in heaven, that they have a legitimate claim to heaven. In other words, I think this is uh, another way of saying their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, which we see in the book of Revelation. They have been elected from before the foundations of the earth, as we see in the book of Ephesians, that they belong to God. And because they belong to God, because they are God's children, they have a claim, an inheritance in heaven that no one can take from them. Right, So when Jesus says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, rejoice that your names are in heaven, he is pointing them to something permanent. He is pointing them to something that will not change irrespective of their ministry successes or failures. It will not even change irrespective of their own moral failures or successes. Right? What does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 8? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this for us because it's so... Wonderful. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. This is what Paul says. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? You are loved by God, and that is permanent good news. That is something that no one can take away from you. That is something that no experience, no, no season in life can take away from you. You will experience seasons of happiness and blessing. You will experience seasons of darkness, seasons of, of tribulation and suffering and tragedy. Right? And through it all, you are loved by God. That is permanent good news. And that is our source of joy. Now, when Jesus says, don't find your joy in these other things, I think he's using hyperbole, right? I, I don't think he's, he's, he's saying literally, don't, you know, don't be joyful about the ways in which God blesses you in particular ways. Don't be joyful about ministry success. Don't be joyful about the growth of the church or being able to call pastor or anything else like that. But I think he's, he's using hyperbole, right? It's sort of like saying, you know, if you, if you, you know, for, for the college students among us, right, if you get a 10 on your quiz uh, at 8 a.m. in the morning, and then at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you get a call that you've gotten the dream job that you wanted when you graduate in a few months, right? Like the 10 on the quiz, it could have been a zero, right? And honestly, who would care? Because you've got the thing that really matters, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have the thing that really matters. You have the one thing in this life that really matters and is permanent, and that is the love of God. Your names are written in heaven. You have a claim there. And so find your joy in permanent good news. Find your joy in the fact that God loves you and has accepted you. And as we think about this, I think there's, there's a couple applications to, to think about. For one, do you know that your name is written in heaven? Have you been baptized? Have you had God's mark placed upon you? Do you trust in Jesus to save your sins? If all of that is true, then that's great. If it's not true, then talk to me or one of the elders so that you can know, so that you can be assured that you have a claim to heaven. The other thing uh, that, that we want to ask ourselves is what are we putting our joy in that is transient or contingent or, or unvaluable, right? Sometimes we put our joy in things that are good, that are, that are blessings from God, and yet they're still temporary. Sometimes we put our things uh, in or put our joy in things that, that, you know, maybe are neither good nor bad, right? Material possessions. Um, you know, I, I, I really love... My books, I love new books. I love pristine, uh, unmarked books that don't have bends or, or mar- you know, anything like that. And, and I find joy in those things. But what does that do? That joy also comes with an equal amount of anxiety, particularly when my children start pulling those books off of my bookshelf or are playing around me while I'm reading with a cup of coffee, Right. Right, My joy is equal to the amount of anxiety I feel because I know that that book can very easily be damaged and then where does my joy go? Right? How often do we find joy in things that are subject to rust and decay and, and to, to being stolen or whatever? Right? And what Jesus is saying is find joy in something that cannot be taken away from you which is the love of God. And then the final application, the thing uh, for this point, the thing I want to ask is how can we grow 
in our certainty that God loves us and accepts us, right? If joy comes from knowing that we are loved and accepted by God, how can we grow in our confidence that that is true? And this, the answer to this question really would be a, a sermon in and of itself, but I'll just throw out a couple, uh, couple suggestions, right? One is get involved in a church like this, right? Get involved in a church in which God's word is preached regularly and faithfully, in which you are reminded from scriptures that God loves you and accepts you. So get involved in church. Read the Bible. The Bible is God's story to us of his love for us from the beginning of time to the end of time. Pray to God. Express to him all of your feelings and emotions and frustrations and doubt and confusion and hopes and joys. And let him listen to you. Take communion, right? As often as it's served. Communion is the way in which Jesus says, I love you. Right? Jesus doesn't love people generically. Jesus loves specific people with names. Jesus loves you. When you take the bread, the bread, Jesus' body broken for you. When you take the, the wine, Jesus' blood shed for you. Know that that is Jesus saying to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. My body, my blood was shed for you. Not for people generically, but for you. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. That is the way in which Jesus says, you belong to my family. You belong to the people that are redeemed by me. So those are just a couple suggestions. So the first point was that joy comes from knowing that we are loved and accepted by God. The second point is that joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And I think this is really important that we understand, right? Joy is not something that you can manufacture on your own. What I don't want you to take away from this sermon is that if you are someone who struggles with depression or melancholy or moroseness or whatever, or, you know, just an emotional flatline, I don't want you to feel guilty over the fact that you're not experiencing and expressing the joy that Jesus wants us to have. Because joy is not something we manufacture on our own. Joy is something that we receive from God through the Holy Spirit. Right? If your joy depended on your ability to produce it in yourself, that also is transient, temporary, and impermanent. And notice what the text says. Even Jesus himself, it says in verse 21, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Right? Joy comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, joy is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? So don't hear this and feel guilty if you don't think you experience joy the way Jesus meant for you to experience joy because it's not up to you. It doesn't depend on you. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, right? And so if you don't experience joy in the, in the way that you wish or think you ought, then the answer is not to feel guilty. The answer is not to beat yourself up. The answer is not to, to sort of work harder. The answer is to pray for the work of the Spirit in your life because it's only the Spirit of God who can give you permanent joy, right? If it's Joy that comes from God, you know that it's permanent because it comes from an eternal and infinite God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
If it's joy that comes from you, guess what? That is, that is temporary, transient joy. And as soon as life gets hard, you will lose it. But if it's joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, that is permanent joy. So pray for the work of the Spirit in your life, that He would increase your ability to know that you are loved and accepted by God, that He would increase your ability to experience joy even in the midst of the troubles and the sorrows that we experience in life. And then finally, joy comes from sharing with others what Jesus has shared with us. This, this point is a little bit more complicated, um, and I'm, I'm going to try and explain it to you as best I can. But I, I want you to look at the second half of the passage that we read. Notice what Jesus himself rejoices in. He rejoices that the disciples know the Father. Notice what he says in verse um, Verse 22 and following, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he continues on. He talks about uh, how the, the disciples see and hear what kings and prophets long to see and hear. Right? And he says, blessed are you, for you see and you hear what Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and Hannah in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, right? And, and Abraham and, and Isaac and, and Adam and Eve and, and all of these people, men and women throughout history, prophets, kings, great men and women of faith, looked through corridors and all they saw was a shadow of what was to come. And Jesus says, now you have seen it. Now you have heard it. And blessed are you. And so Jesus is rejoicing in the fact that he has revealed the Father to them through him. And I want you to flip back to verse 16. We didn't read verse 16, um, but we're going to read it now. Verse 16 is the verse immediately before Jesus sends the disciples out. So there's a gap in time between verse 16 and 17 in which the disciples actually uh, are out among the, the nation of Israel. In verse 16, Jesus is sending them out, and this is what he says, The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In other words, there's an unbroken chain that to hear the disciples is to hear Jesus, and to hear Jesus is to hear the Father, right? And that chain has continued from this point until now. Every single one of us is in this room here because someone told us about Jesus, and someone told them about Jesus, and someone told them about Jesus, all the way back to the disciples and to Jesus himself and ultimately to the Father. And what Jesus is saying is, as the Father sends me, so I send you. And as I make known the Father to you, so you make known me to others. Right? And Jesus is rejoicing in this fact. He's rejoicing that he has able to make known the Father to the disciples. And so to the extent that we get to share with others what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, his love for us and his love for them, we also get to share in Jesus' joy. And this is permanent joy because it has eternal consequences. Because we are everlasting, right? We're not eternal, but we are everlasting. We will never die. Every human that you meet is going to live forever, for better or for worse. 
And so when you share God's love for you to them, when you share God's love for them to them, that has eternal consequences. Right? John in 1 John chapter 1 verse 4 says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There is joy in sharing the permanent good news of what God has done for us to others and what God has done for others to them as well. And we know in, in Ephesians, right, that, that God has told us that before the foundations of the earth, he chose uh, us in him in love. And we see in, in the book of Revelation, the Lamb's book of life, that anyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life has a share, has a stake, has a claim uh, in heaven, is saved by God. And so I want you to imagine Jesus before time began, before, uh, before the, the world was created, sitting down, writing in his book, with tears of joy coming down his face, your name. Before the foundations of the earth, writing your name in his book. And below your name, he writes the name of your neighbor or your friend or your classmate or your parents or your children or grandchildren or just some random person that you meet on the street and have a conversation with. And we get to share in the joy of being a part of God redeeming his people. And that is permanent joy because it has eternal consequences. Let me close us in prayer. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would um, give us your spirit so that we would grow in our ability to experience joy, that we would know that we are loved and accepted by you, that your spirit would increase our capacity to experience and express that joy, even in situations in which uh, the, the circumstances around us are difficult or full of sorrow and tragedy. I pray that we would experience a a deep and abiding joy that comes from knowing uh, that we're loved and accepted by you and that we would also find joy in sharing that knowledge with others as well so that at the end of time when you come again and you raise us all from the dead and we all stand before you to rejoice in what you have done in and through and for us, we would be able to have a complete and a perfect and eternal joy at rejoicing with others uh, and with you what you have done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.